0: As he walks back towards George Street, O'Connor thinks of Catherine, his wife who died, her shape and her smell, and the sound of her voice whispering in his ear as they danced one Christmas Eve in the Finnegan's parlor with Patrick Mooney playing the fiddle and the others laughing and clapping along. It's painful to remember her still so alive, the press of her hand on his shoulder and the pale part of her coal black hair. But the thought that one day that pain might fade or disappear completely is worse. Forgetting is the final betrayal, he thinks. The pain is what is left of the love. And when that pain is gone, there is nothing. After she died, he started drinking whiskey every day. It felt like a means of survival, a way of fending off the future. He would drink in the mornings before he left for work. And in the afternoons, if he was alone, he would find a quiet pub and drink some more. He should have been dismissed half a dozen times. It was only Pat Hurley, the inspector, who shielded him, made excuses. But in the end, even Hurley lost patience. He called him in one day and told him that it was Manchester or nothing. He said he would write the reference for Maybury without making any mention of the drinking. But that was the very last lie he would tell.
1: Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I am Max Lewis and today we're joined by Ian McGuire talking about his new historical fiction novel, The Abstainer. In Manchester, 1867, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, also known as the Fenians, are out for blood after three of their men are hung for the murder of a police officer. Head Constable James O'Connor arrives from Dublin for a sober start, hoping to discover and thwart the Fenians' plans. Meanwhile, Irish-American Civil War veteran Stephen Doyle arrives and joins the Fenians, seeking a personal vengeance. Two men, haunted by their pasts and driven for the need for justice, are drawn together in a novel that is bloody, gritty and absolutely captivating. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. So your novel begins with the historical event that inspired it, that being the hanging of three members of the Irish Republican Brotherhood in 1876 for the murder of a Manchester police sergeant. How did you come across that event and what about it inspired you to write The Abstainer?
0: Um, well, it's a, it's an event in Manchester history and I'm i've lived in manchester for about 25 years so i I did i kind of stumbled across it when i was actually doing research for my last novel um and i was i was a bit shocked and slightly embarrassed that i hadn't known about this before because it was such a big incident in the in the 1860s Mm. it's been more or less forgotten about really um outside the irish community of manchester anyway so that 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 was the first thing that sort of grabbed my attention that this is a piece of history which which seemed very dramatic and important which had sort of dropped out of popular awareness and the other thing which which really drew me to it was it seemed to me an incident which connected to to things which were still very much alive today so it's a story about nationalism people's willingness to die for for nations uh, and nationalism seems to be an issue which is really recurring especially in europe at the moment and it's a and it's an it's a story about terrorism as well of course terrorism never unfortunately seems to go away so it was those two things it was it was the fact that it was this forgotten moment of irish english manchester history and also it was one that that connected so strongly to to things which are still continuing and are with us now
1: Hmm. And as as you mentioned, to both Irish and English people, this era of history and the continued bloodshed that happened with periods like the Troubles it's quite a sensitive topic that many still carry scars over. As an Englishman yourself, how did you go about crafting the story of the abstainer while maintaining respect for both sides, I guess?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting issue. I, I it's something which I both thought about and didn't think about, I suppose. And, and I, in a sense, I felt like I couldn't I couldn't write this novel worrying too much about what people might think about it. Really, I mean, I think that's always the case. You know, you might have a kind of reader in mind, but you don't want to worry too much about particular reactions, which you can't sort of control and worry about. So I suppose that was my that was my first instinct was just to sort of tell the story in an interesting and a kind of truthful way, and then just let people respond to it how they will. I mean, suppose I suppose deeper down than that, of course, the story is about two men, or at least O'Connor, the central protagonist of the story, is a man who's sort of caught between two worlds, caught between the British and the Irish. So in some sense, his perspective allowed me to sort of negotiate between both sides without necessarily throwing my weight behind either one, which I think was quite mm. useful um, for me as a writer. I didn't want to sort of feel like I was committed to to supporting either, either side in, in the conflict.
1: Readers who loved your last book, The North Border, for its attention to immersive historic detail, they'll be pleased to hear that The Abstainer continues that tradition depicting a very dark vision of Manchester in 1867, as well as Pennsylvania a bit later on. What research did you do to capture that gritty, immersive detail of those places?
0: Uh, well, I live in Manchester, so it was quite. It was, in some sense, it was relatively straightforward. Yeah. But it was interesting. I mean, I I did a lot of walking around in the early stages before I even started writing, just to sort of familiarize myself with with the areas where where the people in the in the novel lived and where they moved around. And although there is a fair amount of Victorian Manchester still still existing, I was sort of surprised at how little was left, actually. That was one of the interesting things. About, I suppose, you know, 75, 80% of the city that was there in 1867 is now gone. and, And what's particularly gone, which is sort of particularly painful for the novelist, is the kind of ordinary places, the kind of ordinary houses where working class people would live, which is where most of the novel takes place. Being in Manchester was helpful, but it wasn't that helpful because a lot of, most of what what I really was interested in in had disappeared. So I, I went back to, in one sense, I went back to maps. So there are some there are some fantastic, incredibly detailed maps of Manchester in the 1840s or 1850s. Um, so I, I used that a lot just to get a sense of the geography. I mean, th- these maps are so detailed, they give names of pubs and they, just, they tell you what each building is and where lampposts were and strange things like that. Um, so I, I relied on that. And then also there are, there are a few really quite evocative photographs that were taken in Manchester in around the 1850s from, by a man named Mudd, M-U-D-D, who was kind of one of the early pioneers of sort of photography. And he took these very strange sort of atmospheric pictures of Manchester um, without any people in them. Those were things I really went back on in terms of just imagining imagining what the city might have been like um, and trying to sort of conjure it up in my mind, really.
1: Hmm. Talking about your last book, The North Water, there's a few parallels between that and The Abstainer that I thought were a bit interesting. Both of them focus on two men, one who is trying to start anew after hitting rock bottom, so to speak, and the other who is on sort of a murderous personal quest, for lack of a better term. What draws you to, to this theme in those kinds of characters when you're writing your historical fiction?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that sort of structure of two men, two antagonists, is, a, is I suppose, a quite a sort of classic, dramatic structure to have two men sort of facing off and the struggle, the narrative becomes the struggle between them. So I, I think it's the dramatic sort of force of that which which lures me in. And I think, yeah, they are. I mean, structurally the novels are similar in that way. But I think, in some sense, that the characters are, are different as well. Although Connor and Doyle sort of spend the novel struggling with each other in a certain similar way to the two two main characters in North Water. I think you know their their motivations and and what pushes them is is slightly different but yeah that i mean that central conflict i mean novels are all about uh conflict is what i tell my students when when i try to teach them how to write so having two men facing off is is a kind of very simple way of generating a kind of powerful narrative drive which will push the story forward
1: and that conflict in the north water especially drew from literary classics like Heart of Darkness and Moby Dick. Were there any novels of that ilk that you drew upon thematically for The Abstainer?
0: Yeah, yeah, lots in in some ways. I suppose the most obvious one, which I read, again, kind of early on uh, in the process of thinking about this novel, was um, Joseph Conrad's Novel, the secret agent. It's about a group of anarchists in London at the turn of the century who are plotting to blow up the Greenwich Observatory. As the secret agent of the title is kind of an informer who's who's within their group. So it was just it was a novel I went to because I thought, well, I'm writing about kind of Victorian terrorism. What's a what's a kind of good model? And and that was the one that sprung to mind. And it was, yeah, it's a really useful way to begin. I think I was the thing which really stuck stuck with me from that novel is the way he. Imagines the group and the kind of dynamics between, between these different sort of strange, eccentric radicals and revolutionaries. Um, so I, I, that was really useful in terms of trying to think about the psychology of of a group like the Fenians, who were a secret society who were bound together by this sacred oath, yet had a kind of inevitably a sort of slightly ragtag group of different people so So uh, Conrad was really helpful in, in, a, in a way of thinking about that.
1: And in terms of more contemporary authors, your your writing style is quite reminiscent of Cormac McCarthy, although you do tend to use quote marks as opposed to <laughs> The abstainer still captures that sense of very gritty detail, a sort of nihilistic look at humanity and the detached sort of minimalist writing. Why do you like to write your historical fiction in that sort of way?
0: I mean, you're absolutely right that particularly in North Water, I mean, Cormac McCarthy was a huge influence on that novel and I, I actually before I wrote The North Water I sort of went back and reread a lot of McCarthy's work you know I was looking at the style and thinking about the style of McCarthy and, and he's he's best known for his, for his high sort of rhetoric really and for this kind of extraordinary sort of biblical sentences mm. um, but it struck me that McCarthy has kind of combines a very plain sort of pared down style of prose with that very rich ornate kind of often as i said sort of biblical rhetoric and so that that struck me as just a, a really interesting combination a way of sort of striking two notes and al- allowing yourself to sort of move from one to the other so that's something i think i've i've tried to sort of use and borrow so i, I think in in both the novels and maybe even more in the abstainer than in the north water there's a there's a kind of movement i think in the style from a kind of plainness um, and a kind of simplicity to occasionally a kind of uh, slightly richer, more ornate, more metaphorical kind of style. And it's just, it's just the movement, the kind of variety uh, that that gives you, which I, th- which I find kind of appealing. Um, I mean, the plainness allows you to just move the plot forward at, at speed when you need to. But then uh, if you want to pause and if you want to sort of dig a little deeper and allow the reader to kind of slow down, then you can do that as well.
1: In the same way The Abstainer doesn't shy away from that gritty historical detail, it also doesn't shy away from the violence of that era. And what interested me about The Abstainer particularly is that you rarely describe the violence as it happened, but we often see the aftermath of when the violence happens off screen, so to speak. What do you try to achieve with your depictions of violence in your writing?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. that. The, most of the violence in the abstain happens off screen as it were that's a, that became plain to me actually kind of almost when i finished it i sort of looked back and thought oh i actually haven't there's very few there's lots of violence in it but but very few descriptions of violence i mean I, I suppose i think of violence a little bit like sort of sex in some senses there's no reason to go into great detail unless unless that incident is really important in the story um, and i suppose in the north water it seemed to me there were more more moments where describing the violence was important in terms of showing something about the characters and so on i mean the abstainer i think it was partly that partly it didn't seem it didn't seem necessary to to show the actual acts and the kind of the force the force of that violence was was perhaps more subtly rendered by showing its after effects than showing what actually happened so that was one reason why I didn't feel the need to sort of dwell on it in this novel. The other reason, um, without giving too much away, I mean, the acts of violence, a number of the acts of violence which are not described would involve a kind of torture, I think. And that's something I just didn't really want to write about. I suppose I, I just felt I wouldn't really want to sort of spend a lot of time thinking about that form of violence. I kind of, it's a kind of line which I felt I wouldn't, didn't want to cross. Mm. So there's, there's kind of slight squeamishness on my part, I, I might, you could say about, about certain kinds of cruelty, um, which the novel implies, but, but doesn't actually describe.
1: Do you tend to be squeamish when you read violence on the page? Or is it,
0: is there sort of a detachment when you're, when you're writing it yourself? there's there is a detachment i think yes and and i'm not i'm not normally a squeamish person you know i can i can whip through the sort of cormac mccarthy horrors without blinking i think it's it is it's just something about the idea of torture for me which is which is particularly horrifying i mean there's a novel by J.M. cutsey waiting for the barbarians which i think is a brilliant novel which in part is about torture and he again he, he doesn't actually show show that he shows the after effects of it and he thinks about it but yeah for me that 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 kind of deliberate sort of cruelty is something it would be hard for me to sort of sit down and and want to describe in blow by blow detail
1: Mm, especially since given the nature of a historical fiction novel, you're talking about a, a time where that kind of torture almost certainly did happen. So I can understand why it might be a little bit kind of glorifying it almost if you, if you sort of dwelled upon it. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean,
0: I think that the way that groups like that deal with traitors and deal with informers uh, is always involves a kind of cruelty because mm. there's a, there's a desire not only to eliminate them, but to to sort of make an example of them in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, I did read, I read, a certain amount about more recent kind of IRA activity and things in which, in which that kind of thing happened. And it is, it is really, really pretty gruesome.
1: Dialing in on the characters a little more, we talked a little bit about James O'Connor and you mentioned how he's sort of a, a middle ground between the Fenians and, and Manchester. Mm. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the aspects of his character, such as his abstaining from alcohol. Mm. Um, what was sort of the, the thinking behind some other aspects of his character?
0: Uh, I guess there are a couple of really important things about O'Connor, um, which have happened to him before the novel opens. I mean, one thing is is the death of his wife, which is the direct cause of his of his drinking. But but before that, we learn quite a lot about his childhood and the, the sort of traumas of his childhood, in particular his relationship with his father. So I think those those factors are always they're always behind everything that O'Connor does. Um, I think from O'Connor's perspective, the novel is very much about, about loss and how to cope with loss. Um, and the drinking is, is a kind of immediate attempt to escape from the experience of grief and, and to escape from the process of grieving in some way and the difficulty of that process. And as the novel goes forward, I think he, he tries to find other ways uh, of coping with the loss and of recovering from his past, both his immediate past with his wife and and his deeper past with his father. And everything he does in some sense could be seen as a a struggle to redeem himself, to recover from that, to escape from the the various kind of burdens of the past. And the novel in some sense asks, one of the big questions I think the novel asks is, is to what extent is it possible for us to escape from our past and to put, put what's happened behind us? Um, and, and O'Connor sort of plays out that question, really.
1: And that leads me to my next question, which was exploring Stephen Doyle a little bit more, because yes. he comes with his own baggage that he's trying to to escape from. Uh, what was the thinking behind his character?
0: Yeah, so Doyle is um, a Civil War veteran who is sent sent to Manchester to revenge the, the hangings of his sort of Fenian comrades um, I mean, he's based on—I mean, he's based on actual characters in the sense that the Civil War, the Irish Civil War veterans were an important part of the Fenian um, sort of military terrorist activities in the 1860s. But yeah, he has his own backstory. He has his own experience of sort of loss and trauma. I, I suppose the difference between uh, O'Connor—one of the differences between O'Connor and Doyle—is that Doyle's means of of recovering from his particular past and of finding a meaning in his life, is through warfare and through his attachment to, to a larger cause. In this case, the Fenians. He he gains a kind of meaning through fighting, through violence, and through through his attachment to, to the Irish cause. Whereas, whereas O'Connor doesn't have that kind of larger attachment. Um, his attempts to to recover from the past to do with more personal relationships, more, more individual kind of affectionate relationships, you could say. Whereas, whereas Doyle attaches himself to these larger forces and becomes a kind of a smaller element in these larger movements. And that's the way in which he, he copes and recovers from what's happened to him in the past.
1: For my last question, I wanted to ask about your writing of historical fiction in general. So The Obscena is your second historical fiction novel, but it's not the only genre you've dabbled in. Your debut, Incredible Bodies, was a satirical novel set in the present day in a college. Yes. And you've also written a non-fiction book about Richard Ford. Yes. Given the, the success of The North Water and probably the success of The Abstainer, I'm curious if historical fiction will sort of be your mainstay or if you will touch on other fiction genres during your career.
0: Yeah, it's a question I've been slightly turning over in my own mind, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm working on another novel which is which is historical, but then that will be sort of three historical novels. So I, I do feel like after that I might want to do something a little bit different yeah i don't want to i don't want to plow exactly the same furrow uh indefinitely so so yeah I, I think i will branch out whether that means a novel set in the present or or certainly at least in a different a different historical period not in the 19th century that appeals to me i think it's important as a writer to sort of stretch yourself
1: hmm.
0: um, and not to get into a kind of rut but at the same time it's it's always you know, where do these stories come from um and they don't come that frequently in some ways so a really good idea for a novel doesn't doesn't pop up every day so i think in some sense i'm at the mercy of of where they whether i can find a really good idea which is set in the present or or set in a different historical period and i and i have to just wait and see and and cross my fingers and hope that something something comes up which allows me to branch off in a slightly different direction
1: well you mentioned um a, a third novel that you're working on you're able to share some details on what it might be about or i guess what what period it might be focusing on it's in an
0: it's a slightly earlier period uh it's late 18th century and it's set amidst the kind of fur trade of northern canada that's all that's all i can say at the moment Okay,
1: that sounds very interesting well ian thank you so much for joining us today
0: you're very welcome max good to talk to you